The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. That was Mike McCarthy, the Cowboys coach, back in a room with actual other human beings as we get closer and closer, hopefully, to getting past the pandemic. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio over the course of the next hour here on Peacock TV and Sirius XM 211 for PFT PM. Good afternoon, Miles. I am resisting saying how are you. That is one of our things. That is part of our shtick, but it is the common human convention. I cannot resist. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. I'm doing so well. I'm so glad that you asked because I'm having a great, great Thursday. And now I get to spend the next hour with you. How are you doing? My goal for the next hour is to completely reverse your Thursday by (laughs) 6 p.m. Eastern. I want you to be miserable to balance out the day. That's what I will do. And I don't even have to try. It's just my natural way. All right, let's get to it. We mentioned Mike McCarthy. You saw Mike McCarthy very briefly at the top of the show. We heard more from Mike McCarthy. The offense isn't an issue in Dallas. The defense has been. After one year, Mike Nolan gone. 3-4 defense gone. More of a 4-3 concept installed with Dan Quinn. The Seattle twist to it with cover three, yada, yada. Here's McCarthy talking about the changes that have been made and will be made to the Dallas Cowboys defense. I think it's clearly uh, when you, you look at our team from you know 2020 to 2021, you know the, the largest uh, change is clearly on defense. I mean that that's something that we felt was needed. Uh, you know I don't say cross the board, but that that, that was it, it's clearly not my vision of the football team and how and how I see a football team competing. The focus of change would would definitely be on the defense. So obviously with the change in you know in the coordinator and the coaches. Um, you know, we, we feel uh, the direction that where I see the team needs to get goes is, is going to come under leadership of Dan Quinn. You know, I've, I've known Dan for quite some time, and you know, having a chance to to be in position to hire him uh, is definitely a, you know an, an asset, huge asset to our to our football operations. Miles, I'm conflicted on this. On, on one this, hand, that's I like it. Well, I'm, I'm conflicted on many things, but specifically on this. On one hand, I like it when a football organization, football coach, whoever, acknowledges a mistake and tries to fix it. On the other hand, it was a pretty big mistake last year, and the Cowboys knew what they were getting into, changing up their defensive philosophy without the personnel necessary to implement it, hiring Mike Nolan to be the defensive coordinator when there were plenty of other capable candidates out there. Granted, Dan Quinn had another job last year. He couldn't be hired by the Cowboys to be the defensive coordinator. He was the head coach of the Falcons. But still, the fact that they are making such dramatic changes to the defensive side of the ball after only one year of Mike McCarthy 
is an embarrassment to the organization. It's an embarrassment to McCarthy. It shouldn't have gone this poorly, this quickly, and it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence that it's magically going to get better. Well, I think that if you're going to say there is confidence that it will get better, it would have to be because of the guy that they hired to be the defensive coordinator. And granted, Dan Quinn's defenses in Atlanta were never really that great. I mean, even that team that went to the Super Bowl, that defense was ranked in the 20s with both uh, in terms of scoring and yardage. So and then only the year after that, were both, they ranked in the top 10 for both yardage and scoring in terms of defense. So you have to go back to 2013 and 2014 and say, look what he did when he was just the defensive coordinator and what he did when he was just in charge of that defense to say, yes, I think Dan Quinn is a great defensive coordinator and he can come in and he can play that role. But look, I don't know that you can get much worse than what Mike Nolan was doing last year and the way that they try to transition that defense. And frankly, I feel like even when Mike Nolan was hired, People had some trepidation as to what they thought Mike Nolan could really do with that defense, given the fact that he just had not necessarily been a very good defensive coordinator in a long time, right? Am I making that up, Mike? Well, no, and and look, that's the thing. And when, when a coach is hired, sometimes it is a challenge to get the coordinators you really want. I don't know how much, and, and uh, this may, this answer may be out there, Mike McCarthy had a whole year where he created this little laboratory in Wisconsin where they were working and preparing. And I don't know if Nolan was his first choice as defensive coordinator for a full year or not. I may have known that at some point. If I did, I've forgotten the answer to that. But back to Dan Quinn. This is one of the dangers. And I like Dan Quinn. And he did a great job overall with the Falcons. But for the 28-3 collapse, he would have had a Super Bowl championship. But he's a defensive coordinator who came from a team that had a defensive system that has worked with multiple coordinators, and the head coach is a defensive mastermind. So now you've got Dan Quinn taking over the Dallas defense, working for a coach who isn't a defensive mastermind, as evidenced by last season. You delegate half of the ball, and I've never been a big fan of that, of delegating an entire half of the ball to a coordinator when you're the head coach. And I know that there's involvement, but a lot of these defensive coaches hand the keys to the offense to the coordinator. A lot of offensive coaches hand the keys to the defense to the defensive coordinator. So I have this image of Sean McVay, his first year with the Rams. He's sitting on top of a cooler, mapping out plays for the next offensive drive while Wade Phillips is running the team. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to delegate the defense to Dan Quinn, has he ever really been... A defensive coordinator. You could argue he really hasn't been in the classic sense of being the guy who ran the defense for an offensive head coach. That gives me a little bit of pause. And again, the same people who made the decision that they would have said all sorts of optimistic and colorful, flowery things about last year, and surely did. We could probably dig up the quotes about how good the defense was going to be and how Mike Nolan was going to come in and do this and do that. They got it wrong. How can we have faith that they're going to get it right this year when they got it so wrong last year? Well, I mean, it's mostly because you have no other choice, right? I mean, they're in the NFC East, so that's one thing that's working for them at the very least because you, you can at least look at, say, Washington, you know, Philadelphia, and the Giants and say, well, are those – three teams really going to have that much of explosive offenses. And those are the two, those are the three teams that you have to play twice a year. So I feel like 
if there's some optimism, it would be because of that, what division you're in. Also, because there are some pieces that are still very talented, or at least moderately talented, that are on that Dallas defense. Think of Lawrence. I mean, he's an edge rusher. He's been very good at times. Did not have the best season in 2020, but then again, nobody did on that defense. Van Der Esch, what kind of happened to him last year as well. He's somebody that if you get him back in the form, and especially the way he looked as a rookie, then maybe you've really got something there. So I just feel like, yeah, I, I don't know that I trust what they're going to do either and that it's all going to work, but at least they are in a position where they admitted their mistake. They can clearly see that they made a mistake and now they're trying to rectify it and they're trying to get better. Again, that's why I'm conflicted. I give them credit for recognizing their mistake. I don't give them credit for making such a horrendous mistake that went off the rails so quickly. And obviously, and let's face it, Miles, the termination of Mike Nolan was a foregone conclusion. The question was, were they going to do it in October or maybe September? That's how bad it was right out of the gates. So they got it wrong. They're trying to get it right. But the same people who got it wrong are the ones who are making the decision this time around in an effort to get it right. And I don't know that McCarthy is on the hot seat. Jerry Jones doesn't like to admit that he has made mistakes in a significant and dramatic way. And even though he's got tons of money, he's not a big fan of paying buyouts. So I think McCarthy is safe no matter what. But at the same time, McCarthy's Super Bowl win from 2010 may as well be from 1910, given the way that his teams have played in recent years of his coaching career up to the point where he was fired by the Packers with a month left in the season and in 2020, his first year with the Dallas Cowboys. We'll see how it goes. Open mind, and we'll see. New defensive coordinator, and the proof will be in how many points the opponents score on a per-game basis. All right, the division that the Cowboys are a member of is owned right now by the Washington football team, a team that may be known as the Washington football team. And definitely, I like the name. I like the move to get Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. Here's quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick explaining today why he signed with the Washington football team. Well, I mean, the number one thing I was looking for in free agency was just a chance to play a place that was going to allow me to compete to be the guy and um, so that that was number one, and obviously Washington was a team that had that. And you know, aside from that, when you when I started to narrow it down, just I think Coach Rivera, the culture that's being created, uh, the youthful energy in the building. Um, you know, playoffs last year. You know, it was seven and nine, but it, it was playoffs, and I think that this team. Uh, you know, there's a lot of optimism and there, there's some good juju in the building. So I, I think a lot of those things uh, factor into it. There is a good vibe right now with the Washington football team. It seems like they are getting things right systematically, gradually. I still want to see what happens with the ongoing investigation into years of workplace misconduct. I want to see what the league does to Daniel Snyder. We can talk about that more in a second. As it relates to the football team, though, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, again, you know how I feel about the Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, Fitztragic toggle switch. Every time we think he's good, he does something to convince us that he isn't. And then when we've written him off, he becomes Dan Marino in his prime. But they could have done a lot worse. Their options behind him are not great. 
and they're in a spot in round one where they hardly would have any confidence that they could just sit there and wait for a quarterback to fall into their lap. So they made their move. They were aggressive. And again, they could do a lot worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And given that they're in such a weak division, he's an upgrade. Everything they've done so far this year is upgrade over what they were last year when they were good enough to win the division. So I made an internal bet with myself uh, whether or not you would go over or under 10 seconds before saying Fitz magic to Fitz tragic. And I actually over. lost the bet. Yeah, I know. It's unfortunate that it was over. But anyway, I like to build I, I up to that, it. Yeah, you do. You but it, gone it's 20. inevitable. I know. Well, now I know. See, next time I'll it's do it. It's inevitable. Like and a half. <laughs> I do it. I do it because it is as inevitable as Fitz magic to Fitz tragic. That's why I do it. It's a metaphor, I think. <laughs> well, it, maybe. But I, I, the weird thing to me about this, and this fits magic, probably fits tragic situation that could eventually happen, is that I don't feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick has gone to many teams that just went to the playoffs before. So in this way, it's almost a bit of a new situation. I mean, he said that he this is the most sought after he's been in his career, you know, after he, of course, he went to Harvard. I'm not sure if you knew that, Mike, but, you know, he's been in the league for I, over a I decade and a half. don't know what and you're so- talking about, and I want you to stop. <laughs> Well, you know, he's an Ivy League guy, so am I, I guess. I just had to throw that in there. Um, But when you look at him now, he's just somebody that I think can help elevate that kind of offense. And he's better as a quarterback than what they had before. So that at least, you know, when you have a good defense and you have guys like Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, that he's going to be able to throw the ball to, I think that helps him. And maybe that means that they can prevent the Fitz tragic from happening maybe a little bit quicker than it would otherwise. We saw him with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think that was when the the swing was the most notorious. That great game on a Monday night where he did have plenty of mistakes, but then he did some awesome things for the Buccaneers against the Pittsburgh Steelers when Jameis Winston was suspended a couple of years ago. But hey, I admire the fact that the guy has now played for more than 25% of the NFL's teams. He still keeps going. He's contemplated retirement in the past. But I think he's come to terms with the idea that there's only so many years he's going to be able to play. Just play while you can. And then when you're retired, you're retired. I got a lot of respect for what he's done, but we have to be realistic about the possibility that, yes, he may ultimately end up giving us some moments where we ask ourselves, what in the world is the Washington football team doing? Do we have the updated odds from points bet for the NFC champion. I assume Washington is still the favorite after winning it last year and making the most moves so far this year. The Giants have done some things. I don't know how I feel about what the Giants have done. I forgot Dallas. It's just because it's Dallas. Every year we think Dallas is going to be good, and every year they urinate down their leg, Miles. (laughs) Well, but if Dak Prescott is healthy, then that is probably going to make them better. I I feel like if Dak Prescott had been healthy all last year, even despite how bad that defense was, that offense was really good. So they might have been able to go 8-8 and and win that division if Dak Prescott were healthy for the entire season. And it's not to say that Andy Dalton did that horrible of a job, but when Dak is out there, he makes a difference, which is why he just got the contract that he received. So, I mean, to me, if you're factoring in the offensive stuff and you're thinking that Dak Prescott will be healthy, then it kind of makes sense to me that Dallas would be the favorite in that division. The 
issue with Daniel Snyder buying out the 40.5% of the team owned by Fred Smith, Robert Rothman, and Dwight Schar. The NFL approving next week. It's expected this will happen. The request by Snyder to bust through the league's debt ceiling so he can finance this transaction anywhere from 875 to 950 million to buy these guys out. That is an indication, I believe, and I've been told that the league is not going to force him to forfeit the franchise. There had been some reporting a couple of weeks ago based upon preliminary or expected findings from Beth Wilkinson, who's been performing the investigation into workplace misconduct, that she would recommend a forced sale of the team. And Sims and I talked about this today, Miles, and I think it bears repeating to the extent that anyone didn't see the morning show and they're watching us now. And if if you are, thank you for watching now. But why didn't you watch in the morning? You would have learned about chocolate-covered pretzels as well if you had watched in the morning. But I really do think the league is not going to force this guy to sell for these types of allegations because the other owners do not want that kind of a precedent. And there may be others who already, we don't know, but who would be worrying about, based upon lawsuits that have been settled that the league maybe does or doesn't know about, or people who could come out of the woodwork and just make allegations that maybe aren't completely true, but would be enough to get that that unblinking red eye of the league office to focus on them next. So I think that has a lot to do with why Daniel Snyder won't be forced to sell. I expect him to be heavily fined. I wouldn't be stunned if he's suspended, although what does it mean to suspend an owner if you don't take away the profits that the team makes during the period of the suspension? But, you know, that is on one hand a good thing that they're cleaning up the messes that have been made in the past. It's part of this sense that the team's on the right track. But at the end of the day, Daniel Snyder owns 100% of the team. We'll see whether or not he's truly changed or whether or not he's just acting like he's changed because he knows that the alternative is, at some point, they're going to make you sell the team. Well, and you made this point in in one of your posts about this whole situation, Mike, that if, in theory... He does eventually get uh, a forced sale of the team. It might be a little bit easier from the standpoint that he controls 100% of it. So I, I agree with you that just based on the way this is and based on the way we know billionaires are and billionaires are the dudes that own these teams, you know, that's not a precedent that they want to set to have somebody be forced to sell the team because of these particular kinds of issues. Now, whether or not Daniel Snyder eventually is going to sell the team voluntarily or not, that's a totally different story. And whether or not he gets suspended, I mean, he, based on what the reporting has been so far, it wouldn't shock me either if he were suspended for all of the things that have come out and probably some stuff that has not yet come out too. So I, I think that it's a situation where, yes, he will probably, at least he should maybe get suspended, um, but for sale is just not... I don't see that that is something that the NFL, as you just said, Mike, would want to set a precedent for. Because when you have the kind of money and the kind of power that these guys and and women who own these NFL teams have, then that's not something that they're going to want to give up. And people think the precedent was set as it relates to Jerry Richardson, the Panthers founder. He essentially handed in the keys before it ever got to the point where he was forced to sell. I think he was mortified by what happened. He was embarrassed. He didn't have any heirs that he was poised to to give the team to. So he just cashed out and avoided what could have been an ugly mess, an embarrassing mess for him. Different situation altogether. Philadelphia Eagles, while we stay in the NFC East, introduced Joe Flacco today as 
the backup quarterback, unless he isn't, to Jalen Hurts. Here's Flacco with his mentality as he embarks on his latest NFL assignment. Joe, there's been some questions about just how you view kind of uh, mentoring a young quarterback. Um, what what is uh, your take on that, uh, especially right now as it applies to applies to Hertz and and uh, you know have you kind of evolved in that way over the course of your career? Right. Well, listen, I, I think I've spoken to it a little bit um, and just saying that you know I'm here to do what's best for our team and help us win football games. And the thing I've said so far is that. You know, I think competition, you know, in, in any room and, in, and on any team is something that brings out the best. And, you know, that's really what I'm here to do. Will you mentor Jalen Hurts and help him? Well, like I said, I, I think every every quarterback room, you know, guys help each other. Uh, that's what we're here for. That's what the whole team does. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to do my part and we're going to win a lot of football games. And part of that is getting in the QB room, grinding and and helping each other out. Do you think you're going to have a legitimate shot to compete for the starting job here? I'm not even really looking at it that at that way at this point. Um, you know, like I said, I really just want to come in and, you know, your, your goal as a football player is always to show people, you know, around you that you can play football. And I don't care what level of playing that is, whether you're the first string, second string, third string guy on the team, you still want to prove to everybody on the football team that you can play football and that you deserve a spot on this team in some capacity. And that's really what my job is. You know, there are typically two types of backup quarterbacks. Number one, there is the guy who knows he's the backup, is there to support the starter and be ready to go in the event the starter gets injured or otherwise isn't available. Then there's the backup who has the burning desire to play and they are pushing and they are competing and you never know at what moment the backup may become the starter. The proverbial most popular guy in town backup quarterback typically behind a not very good starter I think Flacco falls into this middle ground where he's not conceding anything he's not wired to concede anything and I think another thing that makes him unique Miles is the fact that he is the rare former franchise quarterback once upon a time the highest paid player in football who is hanging around the sport at a time when most guys who once were the guy would say I'm not holding a clipboard for anybody. I'm the guy. And my guess is the stuff that Flacco says about his role is the most you could ever expect a guy who's been the guy, a Super Bowl MVP, not accidentally in that slumdog millionaire way like Nick Foles, but a real Super Bowl MVP as a starting quarterback. That's the most he's ever going to say if he's a backup. He's never going to concede that he's the backup. Okay, the, the one name that I would throw sort of back at you would be Alex Smith because Alex Smith was the guy, but he did not get as far as Joe Flacco did. He's not been the MVP, but he was still a number one overall pick, right? And Alex Smith is this kind of person who not only when he was still the starter in Kansas City said, I'm taking Patrick Mahomes under my wing, and Patrick Mahomes has praised him multiple times about just how the, the kind of care that Alex Smith took in terms of helping uh, set Patrick Mahomes up for success. But, I mean, you heard it in Washington with Heineke and all that. So I, I just – when I listen to Joe Flacco, it's almost like, dude, what's your deal, man? Like, I understand what you're saying in that, yeah, if you've been the guy and you've been a Super Bowl MVP, you don't really want to hold a clipboard for anybody. But at the same time, right, like, he didn't really beat out Drew Locke. 
And it's not like he was there to do more than back up Sam Darnold in New York with the Jets. What what makes him think that, you know, he's going to go to Philadelphia and all of a sudden he's going to be the guy? And I don't really think he's going to be the guy. But why can't he just say, yes, of course I'm going to mentor Jalen Hurts because I want us all to do better. It's like that word is just so verboten to him and he's just afraid of it and he won't say it at all. It's like Voldemort. I don't really get it. Well, and I and I like that. I do think that part of it is, even though guys are on the same team, there is an inherent degree of competition that happens among teammates because they all want to get on the field. They all want to be the guy. And, you know, Joe Flacco may not, not be wired to take someone under his wing. He may be wired to just lead by example, you know, and not go out of his way to say, my job is to be essentially an additional assistant coach, a quarterback assistant coach to Jalen Hurts. I'm here to do what I do, and if he pays attention, he'll learn some things. But I'm not going to stop and explain it to him like he's five years old. And I think at a certain level, Joe Flacco would say, if we really boiled this down and had time to go back and forth and and peel the onion and see why he is this way, I think at a certain level it's disrespectful. And it's condescending to tell guys exactly what they need to do. They're in the NFL. They know what to do. And they know what to do to learn things in the NFL. You watch and you study and you pick things up and you incorporate them into your game. So I'm not – I just – I think I understand where Joe Flacco is coming from. And I don't think it's malicious. That's just my – that's my take. uh, And and I I think the Eagles are comfortable with that too. They wouldn't have signed him. Well, sure. I I don't necessarily think it's malicious either. I just, to me, it just strikes me is, I don't know, just this weird, awkward thing. Because, look, we've all heard the report that Jeffrey Lurie wants the Eagles to do everything that they can to support Jalen Hurts as a starter. And frankly, if you sign Joe Flacco, to me, that signals that you want a backup quarterback. It's not, it, it's not that you want somebody that can really come in there and push to become the starter. So I, I guess I could be wrong about that perception if then what happens is that Joe Flacco comes in and he says, well, I, my job is to show that I can still play football. And if you're a backup quarterback, then yeah, you still need to show that you can play football. That's for sure. But I don't know. It just... I I guess when you have something like that, mentorship and being a mentor and accepting mentorship as a mentee, it all it all has to be genuine and it all has to really reflect who you are as a person. And I think that this is not just in football; this is in life. Like you, if it's not genuine to you, then you probably shouldn't be going out there and saying, "Yeah, like yes, I'm going to be a mentor. I'm going to make sure that I do everything I can to help him become the best quarterback he can be." If that's not who you are, then it's not who you are. And I can't blame Joe Flacco if it's not who he is. But at the same time, I just, I don't know. It just, it's a weird thing to me when he's just, he won't use the word mentorship and he won't just say, yes, I'm going to help Jalen Hurts. And I agree with what you're saying. And I do think it comes down to personal style. And it's well documented that this is the way Joe Flacco is. And it may be that it does work to the advantage of the starter because you do have the presence of someone there who isn't conceding anything, who isn't acting like he's the old timer, a coined term this week on PFT Live that has gotten Pete Demolitis on my bad side. So he keeps using it and Sims especially. But 
Uh, I, I just think it comes down to personal style. You know, I, to, to give you an example, I mean, we've now got five different people that work with me at PFT. I don't get in anyone's face and say, hey, we're going to have a session today and I'm going to tell you all the things you need to do. I trust people to figure out what they need to do. And I try to set an example that they can learn. And if, I, if there are questions, I will answer them. But I trust, for example, that you know what you're doing. You wouldn't have the job if you didn't know what you're doing. You don't need me bugging you saying you should do this and you should do this. And, hey, let me tell you a story about the time I did this. It's not, I, I, I got sausage to make. You got sausage to make. We're both making sausage. And if you learn something about my sausage-making process along the way, that's good. Maybe, And, again, everybody's different in how they mentor. And some people choose to do it by setting the example. And maybe that's what Flacco's doing. And maybe he just doesn't articulate it well. Or maybe people pull out, you know— random quotes that really don't look good. They don't like some of the things he says, if you isolate and it's not taking it out of context, it's all part of a continuous monologue from him. It's not unfair to isolate it and focus on it, but some of the isolated comments, it's like, yeah, the guy's being kind of a jerk, but I think I understand where he's coming from and I don't have a problem with it. That's, I guess that's the best I can do with it. It, it just sounds like you identify with him old timer. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, great. Okay, uh, let's just go ahead and take a break on that note. When we return, yesterday, Shereen Williams and I, who's older than me, by the way, and I'll never call her old-timer, we looked at NFC teams that, that have improved. We're going to look at AFC teams that improved right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, it's PFTPM. Yesterday, Shereen Williams and I looked at the NFC teams that both have gotten work done during the offseason so far, and then NFC teams that still have work to do. Miles and I are going to look at the AFC teams first that have taken care of business so far this offseason. And I see your picks, and I am stunned. I am flabbergasted <laughs> by your first selection. I would have never guessed it. 
Never at all. Yeah, I can only wonder why you wouldn't have. But no, I, I think that the Browns have done a really good job this offseason of taking care of what they've needed to take care of. They needed to improve their defense. They've gone out. They signed somebody in John Johnson, who I thought was definitely one of the top defensive free agents available. And it's partially because he's coming off of his first contract. He's not somebody really that the Rams would want to get rid of. It's just that, you know, when you're paying somebody like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and then you decide that you want to pay Leonard Floyd too, you can't afford everybody under the salary cap, especially in a depressed year like this one. So he goes to Cleveland, and I think he's a really good fit for what Cleveland wants to do in the secondary. Really good cerebral player. And they also signed somebody like Troy Hill, also used to be on the Los Angeles Rams. I think that's a good fit opposite Denzel Ward. Now, the one thing I think that they still can do is improve their pass rush, and they've done some of that maybe by signing Tack McKinley I don't know how much you can really uh, count on him going into the 2021 season. Same thing almost with Jadevian Clowney. And of course, Scott reported yesterday and was on the transaction wire that he visited with the Browns as well. But I just think from the standpoint of taking care of your needs by supplementing guys and you're not necessarily counting on them to be the guys because the guys on defense in Cleveland are Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett. I think they've supplemented them very well, and so that's why I think that the Browns have had a great offseason. By the way, Shireen has texted. She has requested clarification. She is only three months older than me, so point That was a drive-by. I'm glad she's... Shireen. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Because that was, that was just very wrong, the way you did that on the way to break. It, well, and it was on the way to break, and I can't be held responsible for anything I say on the way to break because they're <laughs> counting me while I'm talking. So words come out of my mouth that I can't quite control. So sorry, Shireen, who is only three months older than me. Um, I agree with you on the Browns. I was intrigued by the Jadavian Clowney visit. Who knows where that's going to go? I, I think Clowney, if healthy, can be an incredibly dominant force. And I think it's easy to get seduced by watching his film of when he's healthy and forget that. You're not going to see that Jadavian Clowney very often if he's on your team. I'm going to go with the Patriots just because I'm fascinated by the fact that they have broken so dramatically from character. When owner Robert Kraft tells Peter King, we used to laugh at the teams that spent in free agency. And we're aware of that. They are very self-aware that they are finally doing the thing that they always made fun of. It's like, hey, we made fun of the guy who got a perm, and now we went out and got a perm. And that's okay, because we got a reason for going out and getting a perm. But they do have a reason. Their, their roster stinks, and they willed that team to 7-9. and nine. And they've gone out, and they've bought, and they've bought, and they've bought. Now, I like what they've done because I think they were very strategic about what they offered. I think they did a lot of work before the negotiating window opened. Surprise, surprise. Teams violate that standard all the time. And I think that they made it clear to the agents for the players that they signed, this is what it's going to be. And if you don't take it, I don't know what else you're going to get. You know what else is out there. We know what else is out there. You better take what we're offering or you're going to be screwed. And it worked. They lined up guy after guy after guy after guy. They've addressed weaknesses on both sides of the ball. And I think it makes the AFC East a fascinating division this year because the Patriots have gotten better. And you rarely say that about the teams that spend aggressively in free agency. But the Patriots have never done it before. They've done it this year. And I think it's going to make them better. It should definitely make them better. And the other thing is, I think that they have not put themselves in a situation where they can't improve at quarterback because I have said this on this program before, and I still really think it, that they're probably going to have to make some other move at QB 
um, because of Cam Newton and just the way that he wasn't necessarily as good as you would want him to be as a thrower last year. So uh, I'll go to my second team, and that would be the Chargers. I, I love what the Chargers have done so far in free agency. And really, it comes down almost just one player. That's signing Corey Lindsley. And I think that that is a terrific signing because, to me, there's almost nothing more that, or better that you can do for a young quarterback than to give him a veteran center who really knows what he's doing because – when you're a quarterback, there's so much that you have to pay attention to at the line of scrimmage. You have to make all these different calls. You have to know what the protections are. If a veteran center can take some of that off of the QB, then that makes it so much easier for the QB to know what's going on in front of him and then make the reads beyond what's in front of him to those wide receivers and those tight ends and running backs too. They're also in the eligibles. So I love that signing. I think it's terrific, and I think that it sets up the Chargers very well. And also, even though they lost Hunter Henry, they brought in a guy like Jared Cook, and he was down in New Orleans with now offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, so he has the advantage of being familiar with what that offensive scheme is probably going to be. I think that the Chargers should be able to continue Justin Herbert's good progression and because of what they've done in free agency, Mike. The biggest thing the Chargers need to do is figure out why it is they have so many guys who get injured. I think at some point it's not just bad luck. It is training. It's stretching. It's nutrition. It's something. And if Brandon Staley, the new head coach, can get that figured out and keep this team healthy, they can be very, very competitive. The other AFC team for me, I, I'm cons- I'm conflicted on this, as we've established. I'm conflicted on many things. The Jaguars, I think, may have spent recklessly and foolishly and and maybe not responsibly. But you know what? When you're so bad and you've got the money, you may as well, because it's not like you're going to get worse. And Trevor Lawrence is on the way. So they genuinely believe that these guys that they're adding are going to be better. And Urban Meyer has his built-in excuse that he – didn't get a chance to do his proper due diligence. He complained last week about the free agency process in the NFL. So if these guys stink, he can say, hey, I didn't get a chance to vet them the way I would have. But they did rely heavily on relationships that their assistant coaches have with the players that they brought in, and they're hopeful that they've made good moves. But when you've got one of the worst teams in the NFL, it can't get much worse. And uh, I got to give the Jaguars credit for being aggressive to try to turn around a team that that has made as dramatic a fall as I can remember a team making from being an AFC finalist and having that game won against the New England Patriots to basically collapsing into a heap of nothing to the point where they've earned the number one overall pick. They've never had in all these years the first overall pick in the draft. Now they have, Miles. Well, the other thing, I mean, the, I, I think of another team that was, you know, also really good in the Houston Texans, and they're pretty darn close to making that same sort of dramatic fall up 24 to zero on the Chiefs in the divisional round last year. But I, I think that it's really interesting when you look at all the moves that they've made, and you have to think of them with Trevor Lawrence in mind. And is Trevor Lawrence going to be able to get the most out of somebody like a Marvin Jones? We're not really too sure yet, but I think that they at least have set themselves up to have a chance. And I, actually, before this segment ends Mike there's something you said when you're talking about the Patriots that I want to circle back to did you have a perm at one point because it sounded like you were talking from experience did I do what now did you have a perm oh no 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 I thought you asked me if I had a a pun no I never had a perm I never had a perm sure I I, I'm so old I forgot that I even mentioned the word perm no there is no (laughs) visual evidence anywhere trust me mullet yes perm no I own the Mm -hmm. mullet 
I, I deny ever having a perm. Vehemently, aggressively, shouting from the rooftops, I never had, nor will I ever have. I don't care how stylish it becomes. They could pass a law that is required that every human being have a perm. I would shave my head and say my hair fell out. All right, let's take a break. The AFC teams that need to do more in the 2021 offseason. Perm-free edition of PFTPM returns right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, we talked about AFC teams that have taken care of business in the offseason that we are still smack dab in the middle of. AFC teams now that still have more work to do. Miles, you're up first as usual. All right. Well, I'm going to have to say the Ravens. And I think it's because of what they have failed to do so far at wide receiver. It's interesting. I mean, Eric DeCosta talked about this before the start of free agency, that he wasn't necessarily concerned about being able to attract free agent receivers to a team that was not only 32nd in passing yards, but 32nd in passing attempts. So it's not like they were really trying to throw the ball all that much. And when you have such a good running offense, you probably don't need to. But when you are trying to get a top guy or at least somebody who can help your passing attack, it might not behoove you to have the kind of offense and the kind of offensive scheme that they've had in the last couple of years. So it seems like right now they've struck out on Juju Smith-Schuster. They definitely struck out on T.Y. Hilton. He confirmed that earlier today on the Pat McAfee show. So what are they really going to be able to do to improve at wide receiver? It almost seems like they're going to have to draft somebody. I mean, Sammy Watkins visited with them. He left without a deal. And I like some of the things that the Ravens have done this offseason for sure. I like the Zeitler signing. I think that signing, I should say, I think that fits well with what they want to do in terms of running the ball. Derek Wolf coming back, Bowser coming back, Pernell McPhee coming back. Oh, that's good too. But until you actually address wide receiver position, or maybe you even could go out and sign another tight end because that might fit a little bit better. Uh, I just, I don't know exactly what they're going to do to make that offense as, as good as it needs to be in order to really evolve it. Because right now, everybody knows that it's hard for them to throw the ball and they don't even want to do it. So if they don't have a wide receiver and they don't get that top guy, it's going to be tough for them next year, I think. 
I, I I believe that the Ravens are trying their damnedest to to talk their way away from the idea that the team isn't attractive to free agent receivers. The reality is it's not attractive to free agent receivers. That's not an indictment of Lamar Jackson. It's an indictment of the offense. The way the offense is constructed, you're not going to have the ball thrown your way. And if we know anything about receivers, it is they want the ball to be thrown their way. They want to show what they can do. They like catching passes. They don't like blocking. They don't like running routes and being decoys. They like having the football thrown in their direction so they can make things happen. And if you have choices, if you give me the choice between team that will throw me the football and team that won't throw me the football, I'm more likely to go to the team that will. It's that simple. Right. First one for me is the Chiefs. And I understand they're the ones who chose to move on from Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. We saw what happened without those two in the Super Bowl. The problem is, what have they really done to replace them? Joe Tooney is not a tackle. He's going to be playing guard unless they move into a position that maybe he's not comfortable playing. They tried to get Trent Williams, and they failed. They tried to get Juju Smith-Schuster, and they failed. They tried to get Josh Reynolds. And they failed. And you've got Patrick Mahomes directly involved in these efforts. Now, maybe it's more persuasive once the money has flowed and once it's no longer about I'll get more money somewhere else. But to the extent that the Chiefs thought they were going to convince people to take less to come join the Kansas City bandwagon, hasn't worked. And I, I think that, that uh, it's a cause for concern. And is some of the shine off of the Kansas City Chiefs organization after the loss? In the Super Bowl, I don't know. I'm just alarmed by the fact that this is a team that has been trying to go out and make itself better, and it has failed to do so. And they may be fine. They may be back in the Super Bowl this year. They may win it again. But they definitely still have work to do as they try to improve their offensive line, put Patrick Mahomes in a better position and not have to run for his life, and address other deficiencies on the team, especially with Sammy Watkins, a free agent, and possibly headed somewhere else. If they were able to sign Trent Williams, I think we would probably feel dramatically different. But as you just said, they failed to do it. So when you do fail to acquire that big left tackle that you know you need, especially after the way you just got rid of Eric Fisher, then yeah, I think it is some cause for concern because Patrick Mahomes is definitely going to need somebody to block for him, at least if they are even to try to make it back to another Super Bowl. Um, But this, I'm going to change the rules of the game because you usually do this all the time. And it's not necessarily just teams that have more work to do it's kind of like what are they doing i'm gonna go with the raiders because what exactly are they doing and i i just i feel this way with the signing of Kenyon drake for as much guaranteed money as he got i feel this way with not just trading rodney hudson that you you know sometimes things happen with veterans and you want to move on but when you then sign andre james to a contract extension when he's only started one game for you in 2019 and he's going to be a restricted free agent next year, I'm just not really understanding what the logic is there. I know that you want to get better on the offensive line or at least get cheaper and you feel like Andre James is not that much of a drop-off, but you probably don't have enough evidence that he's actually going to go out there and be the kind of quality player that you want him to be. And then they sign Martin from the Texans, and then they, they, it's been reported that there's going to be some sort of competition there between those two guys for center. What What's going on? So I don't really know what 
what's going on there. I mean, I, John Brown should be a decent signing, especially for what they're paying him. But I also almost think that he's a little bit very similar to Henry Ruggs. And if you really want to get Henry Ruggs to where he should be as, you know, the 13th overall pick in the draft last year and what exactly are the roles going to be, there's a lot that the Raiders still have to figure out. So it's, a, I guess, it's still they have work to do. But it's also what, what's going on there, Mike? Well, and, and, you know, when you look at the offensive line, 60% turnover there, and, and there's this vague argument that John Gruden has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Well, I assume he's had a plan the last three years. How's that worked out? Look, th- th- this is a guy who has not faced any real scrutiny for the fact that he has been a mediocre at best coach since winning the Super Bowl 18 years ago, and his return to coaching for the past three years has been a failure if the ultimate pass-fail is, are you a playoff team? And even with seven teams per conference, he couldn't get in. And if he doesn't make it this year, I don't know when Mark Davis holds him accountable. Mark Davis may just be happy that John Gruden is the head coach regardless of what the team does. Davis is used to having a bad team. You can either have a bad team that isn't coached by John Gruden, or you're going to have a bad team that is coached by John Gruden. He'll take that every day of the week. But I, I look, I remember when Gruden signed the 10-year, $100 million contract. Everybody thought it was fully guaranteed, and everybody's like, wow, this is unreal. I, my understanding is it's backloaded, and a lot of the stuff on the back end isn't guaranteed. We'll see as we get closer and closer to maybe that aspect of the deal, whether or not there is real accountability for John Gruden. And my point is, if it was anybody else, any other circumstance, you'd at least be on the hot seat going into this year. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We'll find out. I think the Jets have more work to do, primarily because this quarterback question has not been answered. And they will answer it. They will do the work. They will check the box. They just need to get it right. Are they going to keep Sam Darnold? Corey Davis seemed to think that, although why are they going to tell their strategy to Corey Davis, a guy who just signed with the team and let him blab during a press conference. But they need to get this right at quarterback. This isn't just they need a quarterback. They need to know who it is. They need to get it right. They need to evaluate the guys who are going to be available with the second overall pick, and they better get it right. Is Zach Wilson as good as Chris Sims thinks? The Jets need to make that decision. They better get it right. They better get their other decisions right with the draft picks they have, the draft pick they picked up from Seattle for Jamal Adams. They got to start hitting on these picks. They got to continue to build that team from the inside out, and they got to hope they can be competitive because look at that division they're in now. It's not quite the NFC West, not quite the AFC North, but the Bills are great. The Patriots are the Patriots. The Dolphins are better. The Jets could be left in the dust if they don't make some good decisions over the balance of the offseason, Miles. Yeah, they absolutely could be left in the dust. And so that's why I think whether it's Zach Wilson or somebody else, whoever they figure out is the solution at QB, They, like you just said, they better get it right and they better be gung-ho and everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction for it. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Gives us some time to answer some of your questions. Looks like some good ones have made it through Twitter today. We'll answer those when this Thursday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. The Bears trolling everyone, especially their fans last night, with this Photoshopped image of Andy Dalton. And the message, QB1. They're right, though. QB1 for now. Maybe not QB1 
for the season, maybe not for September. You know, Mike Glennon was the starter, clear cut. Even after they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, he said so. The team said so. He made it four games in the 2017 season before Trubisky became the guy. Let's get to the best of your questions. At Rosso, BWRM, is there a chance the 49ers address the quarterback position via the draft? They have the 12th overall pick. In a draft, Miles, where there's a belief there's going to be an early run on the available quarterbacks. I think that it's certainly possible that they could. I mean, I'm not sure any of us really know who's going to be available, if anybody is going to be available at 12 overall. But look, once you're talking about the 49ers, how much of a real belief is there that Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy that can not just take them back to the Super Bowl, but can win them the Super Bowl, right? If he hits that throw to Emmanuel Sanders, then maybe we're not having this conversation, but he didn't. So I think that there certainly is a chance that they could address QB in the draft, definitely. Yeah, I, I think there is. I think they're not content with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're acting like they are. $25 million is too much for a guy who has missed more games over the last three years than he has won in his career as the starter for the San Francisco 49ers. Hans Frugel, how close are the Giants from being contenders in the NFC? They covered many holes in free agency, and Joe Judge looks very promising as a head coach. I'd say the jury's still out on that. I think Judge was better last year than I thought he would be. I'll give him that much. But... Uh, free agency. I don't know. I, 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 I think that they paid way too much for Kenny Galladay. They arguably paid way too much for Dory Jackson, over a hundred million in contract value for guys who combined played eight games last year. I don't know how I feel about what they've done so far in the off season, miles. Oh, I don't know how I feel about how they've done in the offseason. I would tend to agree with you that the jury is definitely out on Joe Judge. I mean, they had a decent back half of the season, but they still were 6-10. and 10. So we were only talking about them as a potential playoff contender because the NFC East was that bad last year. So I don't know how close they are to really be contending in the NFC East. I mean, if they were in the NFC West, for instance, would we think that they were better than the Rams the Cardinals, the Seahawks, or the 49ers even? I don't know. At Burn Unit, will the NFL buy COVID vaccines to get personnel and players vaccinated before training camp? Could the NFL make it a requirement? Look, they don't need to buy it. It's everywhere now. They dropped the age in West Virginia to 16 to get the vaccination. By the time we get to training camp, there will be more vaccination than there will be people who want to have the needle in their arms. The challenge is getting guys to do it. They won't make it a requirement. What they'll do, and Alan Sills, the chief medical officer, hinted at this recently, they'll create incentives to make Teams and players want to get it. You'll have different restrictions, lesser restrictions that apply if you've been vaccinated, which makes sense. And that will entice guys to go ahead and get whichever vaccine it is that they get, Miles. Yeah, and they've already started to do that. There was a memo that got released today about the draft. And if everybody is fully vaccinated, you can have 10 people in your draft room and you can have all the food you want and you can, you know, high five and I guess hug people if you're really excited about that too. You don't have any of those restrictions. So I think from that standpoint, it's almost like what the NBA is doing. The more vaccinations you get, the fewer restrictions you're going to have. And if, you know, it's going down in Ohio too to 16 plus next week. So I'm really looking forward to getting that thing in my arm. It is so strange to think of what it's going to be like when you can actually embrace people, shake hands, get within six feet. How long is it going to take us to unlearn these behaviors that we have been 
following so closely over the course of the past year. Then again, I don't go anywhere. So I don't, it's not like I'm around many people that I've really spent a lot of time backing off, but uh, hopefully this will all be over soon. And hopefully everyone will get the vaccine when they're able to do so miles uh, because that's the way to finally ending this and we can be normal again, or at least as normal as I ever will be. Yeah, well, I probably am going to be you know, happier to see more different people than you are. Just that that's probably yeah. just my personality versus your personality, Mike. Well, you have learned well without my active mentoring. That's it for this Thursday edition of PFTPM. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.